Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Wheel of Fortune, Detective Louis Martelli, NYPD, Mystery Thriller Series Book 6, written by Theodore Jerome Cohen. A gripping mystery thriller and police procedural. Even as a child, Caitlin Lundquist was drop-dead gorgeous. She also was willful. In her teens, perhaps out of spite, she created her own name and persona. As she grew up, she readily accepted money and gifts from her parents, but thumbed her nose at society in general, and her parents' way of life in particular. A seeming infatuation with Tommy Lupinacci, head of a major crime-infested Cartage Association based in Brooklyn, led her to move east with the mobster. But when she showed up dead with a bullet in the back of her head, NYPD detectives Louis Martelli and Sean O'Keefe were stumped. If this were a mob hit, why dump her body in plain sight? Moreover, who was she, and what was the motive for killing her? The investigation leads to the area around Lundquist's hometown in eastern Pennsylvania and to the mob's efforts to take over the trash hauling and recycling business in Lancaster and York, Pennsylvania. It's only after Martelli brings IT specialist Missy Dugan into the case that he and O'Keefe are able to unravel the mystery. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Wheel of Fortune. 3. Jesus, Lou, you look a little greener on the gills. Here, grab a chair and take a load off. Let me get you a cup of coffee. NYPD's Principal Information Technology Specialist, Missy Dugan, put down her soldering iron, jumped from her tall work stool, and ran to the coffee warmer as Martelli pulled up a chair and sat. Dugan, NYPD's answer to Peter Pan in size and spirit, glanced nervously at the two swatch watches on her left wrist and saw they were showing the same time. I take it all is right with the world, joked Martelli, knowing if the times differed, Dugan would have a problem, something neither her schedule nor her personality accommodated easily. Dugan handed her favorite detective a steaming cup of coffee, black, no cream, no sugar, and then returned to her work stool, where she was soldering surface-mount electronic components to the motherboard of a failed email server. So, uh, not feeling too hot this morning? No, I feel okay. I just came from the morgue, however, and the case Antonetti was working on got to me. Young woman, beautiful. One shot to the back of the head. Not a clue as to who she is. No identification. Nothing special about her clothes, according to Antonetti's assistant. No breast implants. Nothing remarkable about her teeth. Nothing at all to go on. I had to get out of there when Antonetti reached for a striker saw. Ah, yes, the old striker cell routine? Dugan laughed maniacally. Gets you every time. Not really. I had no trouble watching him finish the autopsy on Trent Morrison. You remember him? The guy from Syracuse who was accused of raping some girls in his high school class 20 years ago and ended up murdered in our fair city earlier this year. Oh, yeah, I remember. He got what he deserved. As the Italians always say, La vendetta e impiato ceba serva do frito. Revenge is a dish best served cold. So what's your problem here, Lou? This Vic was a beautiful woman cut down in the prime of her life. I simply couldn't stand there while Antonetti cut off the top of her head and pulled out her brain to get at the slug. And here I thought, after everything I'd been through in a rock, nothing could faze me. 
Martelli had been aboard a Black Hawk helicopter that was shot down, a result of friendly fires, some thought, during the April 2003 invasion of Baghdad, a part of Operation Iraqi Freedom. He never talked about the fact he lost his left leg attempting to save the pilot and co-pilot. His last memory before Black and Al was of their cries from the cockpit, desperate cries for help that he was never able to answer, desperate cries that he heard over and over again in his nightmares until he thought he would go insane. It was his wife Stephanie who always was there when that happened, soothing them, changing the bed sheets that become drenched in sweat, and assuring him that this too shall pass and tomorrow would be a better day. Now he worked for the NYPD under a special waiver issued by the mayor's office. The only outward sign of his disability was a slight limp resulting from his prosthetic device. Dugan nodded. I understand, she said sympathetically. I generally make it a practice of staying out of Antonetti's chop shop. However, I have been known to venture down there occasionally just to keep up to date as to what's going on around here. A gal needs her news burst hand at times, you know. Martelli chuckled and took a sip of his coffee. It appeared he understood exactly what she was saying. Although she was the principal IT specialist for the department, Dugan had the uncanny ability to uncover everything that was going on at one police plaza. For this, and a myriad of other reasons, she was Martelli's go-to person for all sorts and manner of things, including rumors, confidential but leaked information floating through the one police plaza grapevine, and most important, data and information that might help him solve a case. Martelli set his coffee cup on the floor next to his chair, reached into his pocket for his cell phone, and with a few strokes of his screen's icons, brought up the picture of the tattoo on Jane Doe's back. Besides the pictures, Antonetti took of her when she was brought in. Her fingerprints and whatever we get back from the pathology and ballistics labs, this picture probably just might turn out to be one of the most important pieces of evidence we have. But I'm going to need help making it work for me. Dugan looked at the picture of the tattoo on Jane Doe's back. Send that to me, Lou. I have an idea. With a few strokes of his finger, the picture of the tattoo on the Vic's back was on its way. A second later, it appeared attached to an email in Dugan's inbox. It took the IT specialist only a few more seconds to store and display the Vic's tattoo in brilliant color on her high-resolution monitor. Well, now... Isn't that a masterpiece? Not many tattoo artists in the city could produce something that large, complicated, and delicate. What are you saying, Missy? I'm saying that as with any other art form, good tattoo artists develop their own styles that distinguish their work from the work of others. Some become real masters. I'll bet if you showed this picture to some of the more respected tattoo artists around the city, they'd probably say, Oh, yeah, nice tat. That's so-and-so's work. I'd know it anywhere. Why's that? Well, as I said, tattoo artists develop unique styles. They generally use two basic techniques. Uh, which are? Well, the first is called old school, or what's sometimes called traditional. It goes back to the roots of the art, maybe 150 years. The tats are done in three parts, black, color, and skin. Artists use thick lines to typically employ nautical and military themes. You old guys saw a lot of that in the army. Hey, watch it when you talk about us old guys. And the second? It's called New School. Your lady's art is a good example. Here, artists freestyle. You know, they use unique patterns, jagged edges, you name it. They use it, especially given the modern equipment available today. And talk about colors. Well, almost anything's possible. Depending on a person's skin tone, they'll even use washes. 
As for inks, if you want the tat to show up only when you shine a black light on it, the artist will use UV light ink. What about lettering? Even the lettering can be customized using just about any font imaginable. Here's where the better artists really shine. Each letter has to be absolutely perfect, and you can always tell when an artist took pains to ensure his work was done properly. I'm almost afraid to ask, but how do you know so much about this stuff? Dugan laughed. I've sat in more than a few tattoo parlors at one in the morning with friends who, after drinking a wee too much of the grape, decided a tad was just what they needed to finish off the evening's festivities. Unfortunately, most of them weren't thrilled with the results, whether or not masterpieces, when they woke up the next morning. <laughs> By then, however, the damage had been done. I can understand that. Diamonds aren't the only things that are forever. But there must be hundreds of tattoo parlors in the five boroughs, assuming the work was even done here. How the hell do we find the artist who tattooed this lady's back? Maybe I can take some of the legwork out of the effort by going online and comparing the style of Jane Doe's tat with art found on various tattoo parlor websites. Before I do that, however, I'll retrieve the photo Antonetti took of her face and enter it into the FBI's Next Generation Identification System. The NGI contains all sorts of data, including mugshots. Some of the data were captured through a nationwide network of cameras and databases. Maybe we'll get lucky and score a hit. Martelli brightened considerably. Those are brilliant ideas, Missy. No wonder they pay you the big bucks. And while you're at it, could you run her prints through Integrated Automated Fingerprint Identification System? I'd have O'Keefe do it. But Captain Hanlon has him off doing something else this morning, and we won't be getting together until later in the day. You got to be shitting me, Lou. I slave away here in the basement of one police plaza solving all your cases, not to mention providing IT service to 40,000 of New York's finest, for which they pay me bupkis. Meanwhile, you and Sean drive around town in your big new Crown Vicks to impress the chicks, flash your badges, and then get all the credit when Commissioner Fields commends your performance on TV. Rank has its privileges, my pretty. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Wheel of Fortune. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.